All right, let's start with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we're just so grateful to you. You've blessed us so much, Lord, with your word and knowledge of you, and I pray that you will bless us now as we're talking with one another, that we will understand your word, your plan for us, and that we will allow you into the deepest places in our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Today we are talking about grown-ups playing dress-up. And um, I, how many of you have ever played dress-up? I have three small children. They are ages three, four, and six. And, or as they would point out, three and a half, four and a half, and six and a half. And they love to dress up. It's a lot of fun. My daughter especially just loves dressing up. She has her little friends come over and they like to dress alike or they'll dress up in her fanciest dresses and prance around the house or they put clips all over in their hair. Not too long ago, she and her best friend Ellie dressed up as Egyptian princesses. So they, they had all these clips that they each probably had 20 hair clips in their hair. And Ellie's mom overheard them talking to each other when she said, you need to clean up in the other room saying, why do we have to do all this work? We're princesses. Where are the servants? <laughs> yes, when you, when you dress up, it's so easy to suddenly morph into feeling very different, right? This is my son, Seth, um, dressing up as a fireman the other day. He loves to dress up. You know, they just, they just love it. And we sometimes kind of fall into the same habit. We feel like a quick change on the outside makes us feel so different. You know how it is when you get a new haircut or some new clothes and you suddenly feel so much more confident about yourself. You're going out there and you feel like you look good. And so you feel good, right? But that is not exactly how God wants us to base our sense of how we feel about ourselves, is it? A quick change on the outside and now I feel like I am an Egyptian princess, right? But I'm not. <laughs> And when we, when we fall into that trap, God wants us to come up to something so much higher. God is not interested in a quick fix of decorating the outside. He wants to change our hearts. Now, um, when you, you know when God changes a heart, he changes it so that change comes to the outside, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when I was trying to figure out what I would talk about here, I thought, you know, I know what I want to do. I want to just go over there and start out by putting up this long quotation about the length of skirts. That's what we should talk about, right? And just start out there, and then when everybody goes, oh, no, is that what it is? All modesty stuff. Then I could say, ha, just joking. But then I thought, some people are going to listen to that on audioverse, and when I start droning about the length of skirts, they're just going to turn it off. They won't even get anything out of it. They won't see. It was a joke. That's not what I want to talk about, because I don't think that's really where we should be focusing. I think God wants to do something deeper. Now, I'm going to give you an example. We had this huge tree in our backyard. This isn't an actual picture of that tree, but... It was, a, it was this massive tree in the backyard of the place that we were living. I mean, this tree was so big, I would put my arms around it like this, and I could only get halfway around the tree. 
but the tree had some problems. Some of the branches were dying and they were, you know, falling down. We had a couple of windstorms when a big branch fell down and I was like, hey, that's scary. My little kids play underneath this tree outside. If something falls on them, they could be killed. So we called up our landlords and they agreed to get rid of the tree. So the first thing they did was hire somebody to come in and take scissors and cut off all the leaves of the tree. Right? You think that's what they did? No. All right, just want to see if you guys were awake. No, they, they didn't, of course not. What did they hire? Professionals to cut down the tree. In fact, these guys came in with their massive saws, and it was really pretty impressive watching them. They chop off one big branch, then they chop off another big branch, then they chop off another, and then they start going down this trunk in sections, I mean this massive trunk. So they chopped it all to pieces, and then they took their root grinder and they ground out all the roots down underneath, even down into the, under the ground. They ground all down in there to get rid of everything from this tree. Now, that made me think a little. You know, I, I think in pictures. That's the way that I always process stuff. And I thought, wow, what a good illustration. You know, when you weed the garden, do you do it with a lawnmower? It's all gone. No, we know that if we weed with a lawnmower two weeks later, it's going to look just like it did before, right? We've got to get the roots out. And yet, in dress, we've often tried to weed with a lawnmower. You say, this is how you need to dress. These are the things you should avoid. This is the length of your skirt. Be sure you don't wear any jewelry or anything that looks like jewelry. Right? No, no glittery stuff around your neck because that could make it look like you're wearing jewelry even if it's not actual jewelry. Right? You know, we're, we're, we're dealing with surface stuff there. And while that's important, it's much more important that we get to the root. You know, these guys who were cutting down the tree, they knew they needed to get rid of the branches because otherwise the tree wasn't going to come down right. Sometimes we need to have some guidelines of this is where we need to dress. You know, here's a, here's a line that you should not cross. And especially when you've got an institution or a school or something like that, you've got to have some basic minimum guidelines. But God wants to do so much better, right? When he dealt with the children of Israel when they had just come out of Egypt, he gave them some minimum guidelines. But he also said, look, guys, I want you to deal with the idols in your heart. Let's have a relationship. Let's become friends. Let's build unity. God wants us to love him with all of our heart, not just to do all the Ten Commandments. But thou shalt have no other gods before me. That means we've got to love him. We can't say, okay, God, I'm not going to disobey any of the stuff that you tell us to do. But down inside, I'll sure be wishing I could. Right? God wants to deal with our hearts. In dealing with the tree, God was interested in the roots, not fruits, in our lives, just as we were interested in getting out the roots of the tree, not just the leaves off the top of it. So I thought also, you know, what would be really fun in my creative mind, get over creative when I'm overtired, what I thought would be really fun would be to come in here dressed in like clothes that totally clash. <laughs> You know, and then just see if everybody goes, oh, no. But of course, that wouldn't go on to audioverse very effectively either. But what would I do? Then I thought, you know, when would I dress that way? I could just dress that way right before the presentation. But wouldn't it be a great illustration to walk around campus all day long dressed in clothes that totally obviously clash and see what people thought of me? What would you think of me? Would you want to come to my seminar if you saw me dressing in, you know, stripes and polka dots that were different colors? And, you know, oh, man, what's that woman doing here? 
We judge a lot mm -hmm. on what people look like, don't we? We really do. We take one glance at a person, you know, and I've been guilty of it myself as much as anybody else. I've looked at people and thought, that's a really strange hairstyle. She doesn't seem like my type of person. Just like that. Have you ever tried to explain the rules of dress to somebody else? What's in style, what's not in style? I had a roommate when I was in college who came from Eastern Europe, and she loved color, and she must not have gotten enough of it over there. Because all of a sudden, she discovered secondhand stores and free clothing that people had given away. And wow, she put together some outfits. Wild red and orange and yellow stripes and green and purple polka dotted skirts. I was like, wow, I didn't know there was that much color on this campus. And she'd put it all together, the more the merrier. And how do you explain that to somebody? You know, I tried to explain, you know, you, where do you start? Or do you say, you know, that kind, that style of shirt doesn't go underneath that kind of dress. It just doesn't, because it doesn't, because I've never seen anybody else wear it that way, right? We just, we know the rules. But if you try to go shopping with somebody from another country and you're explaining to them, no, these are all out of style. Have you ever tried to think of, why are they out of style? Well, they just are, because I don't see anybody wearing those. You know, I, I have to explain the rules of dress to my six-year-old, who loves colors and sometimes loves the same colors that should not be on her body at the same time. And I have to try to explain to her, you know, yeah, those are pretty colors. They're both beautiful, but not together. And, and that's, that's challenging. We have these set rules in our minds of the way things are supposed to be. How are those, how are those rules made? Who made the rules? And why do we all know them? Who's making the rules? You know, a long time ago, people made their own clothes, or they had a dressmaker make their clothes, and the clothes were made to fit their bodies, pretty much. This is, you know, my body is kind of shaped like this, so we'll cut it this way. And then along came French design and the look. And now in America, we're, we're very much into you've got to look a certain way, or else, well, that's, that's the way you're supposed to look. And there are lots of different looks, of course. And you have to pick the look that fits you, and then that's who you become, right? There are the, the grunge look people, and then there are the, the goth people. Everything is in black, and, and of course, the facial expression has to match. <laughs> and then you, you have the, the outdoorsy, campy people, and they have to wear L.L. Bean or else, you know, they've got to be into that style. It doesn't have to be the same as the other people, you know, somebody else, their style is, you know, I look like I just stepped off the streets of New York City, and that's their style. So there are lots of different styles, but you've got to find the style that fits you, that expresses who you are, and then that becomes your style, or maybe you have more than one style, you know what I mean? We have this complicated rule system that is all built around, in the bottom of it, what do people think of me? And what do I think of myself? I think like Hollywood Cindy. actors and actresses, they set the trend for things uh, that might come in style or maybe what they're wearing on the red carpet. Exactly. All these celebrities start sporting a certain you know, designer thing or a certain style. Like with Paris Hilton, you know, she was wearing all these really mini skirts. And then mm -hmm. you little dog, and then next thing you know, you see these girls with their little dog and these mini skirts being like her, 
Yeah, the Paris Hiltonites. People, people want to follow somebody because we have this magical idea. If I can just hook my trailer to that star, then I will become like them and people will think of me as cool. We fall for advertising so easily and it's deadly. It, it steals from what God wants to do. The Lord sees not as man sees, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You know, I used, to, I used to try to judge based on what people look like myself. I remember thinking, you know, when I saw somebody come to church in a short skirt and a whole lot of makeup on, I thought, she must not really have a good relationship with God. If she did, he would have dealt with her on that already, you know? And then I was shocked later on to discover sometimes these people that I had made my preconceived ideas about, they raised their hand and talk in Sabbath school, and I'm like, wow, I'm humbled. That's so true. I needed to know that. How come God told her that when she's dressed like that? You know, this judgmental mentality I had. Now, I'm not saying that it's okay to wear those things. As long as you're close to God, it doesn't matter what you wear. Because you can still be a stumbling block to other people, and it can still hold you back in your own spiritual journey. I know for me, the way that I used to dress held me back in my spiritual journey. I would, I would dress when I was feeling insecure or craving attention. I would dress in my tighter clothes because I knew I'm going to get the attention that I'm craving right now. But dress is not the only way to do that, is it? You can dress very modestly, but seek attention in other ways. God always wants to aim for our hearts. He wants us to base our sense of identity and worth on his love for us. And when that's the foundation of our security, then the, the dress and things like that, they tend to start falling into line with what God wants us to be. Where is your sense of worth? You know, there are a lot of places people build their sense of worth. Is it on your outward appearance? Is that what makes you feel like you're worth something? When you go shopping and you get a new outfit and you really like it, do you feel better walking around? Or is it on your inward experience? What's going on between you and Jesus as you spend time with him in the morning? And that revitalizes you. That's like pouring water on this thirsty plant, bringing it back to life. Yes, that's what I was longing for. Not for somebody else to make me feel good, but for a knowledge of God. Is our sense of worth based on what people think? or on what God thinks of us. You know, have you ever thought, what if, what if everybody else knew what was going on in my walk with God? Would I be more conscious of how much time I'm spending with him? You know, I saw this cartoon. Um, I think it was The Far Side. No, maybe not. I don't remember. One of those kind of cartoons, you know, and it had somebody coming out of the bathroom, and it has a big sign over the bathroom door that said, did not wash hands. So every time somebody comes out, the sign flashes if they did wash their hands or if they didn't wash their hands. If there was a sign like that over the bathroom door, would you be more conscious of washing your hands? That was their point. You know? <laughs> and I thought that was pretty funny. How many things do we do that we wouldn't do if we didn't think people would notice? How many things do we not do that we would do if we thought people would know, especially spiritually? Does it matter to us whether God thinks that we're doing well? Or is it more important that we can go to breakfast and say, yeah, in my devotional time, I studied about this. How about you? When all we really did was spend three minutes reading just so that we'd have something we could brag about. What, what is the foundation of our sense of worth? Is it what we feel? Or is it what the Bible says? 
about our worth. God wants to do something to really change our hearts. But on the outside, when we can make things look good on the outside, we often don't deal with the inward, right? If I can go find somebody to give me attention and make me feel attractive, I may not go to God and say, Lord, what's going on in my heart? Why am I not feeling like I'm lovable today? You see, and you can think, well, once I'm married and I have somebody who's committed to me and I know that he's going to spend his life with me and he loves me above everybody else in the world, then I'll be secure. I hate to tell you this, but that's not the way it works. In reality, when we base our sense of identity or worth or lovability on our spouse, we only become more insecure. Then everything rises and falls on him. And now, instead of my goal in life being, how can I glorify God, it becomes... How can I get my husband to love me so that I'll feel like I'm lovable and worthwhile? Now my goal, instead of being holiness, becomes happiness. How can I make him make me feel good? And it's all downhill from there. Then anything he does, I'm super sensitive. You see what I mean? Marriage is not the solution to those problems. It only reveals them. It shows what's going on in our hearts. And God, in his gracious mercy, doesn't want to allow us to have a quick fix that makes us feel great and not get to the heart. The quick fix nearly always leads to regret and long-term damage. And if you look at Hollywood and how beautiful everything looks on the outside and how devastating their lives are inside, you can certainly see that demonstrated. Our culture demands instant gratification, which usually leads to long-term loss, right? God wants to give us something so much better, but our culture is becoming worse and worse. And that's why dress has become such a crisis for us nowadays. You know, back in the 1960s, we had the sexual revolution. All of a sudden, there's birth control. And so a woman can decide whether or not she wants to have sex with somebody based on whether she wants to, not based on this fear of, oh, no, I better make sure he's committed to me because I'm going to be raising a child all by myself and everybody's going to be looking down on me. Now she's going, yes, I can do what I feel like. And so there was this quick fix that mentality that came to apply to sexuality very strongly. Now she didn't have to worry about the long-term loss. The instant fix was going to make her feel good, make her feel lovable, beautiful, worthwhile, and she didn't have to worry. But of course, in the long term, we, don't, we may not suffer pregnancy in some of those situations, but we suffer other devastating losses. The loss of feeling pure, the loss of knowledge of our worth, the loss of feeling like God can forgive us and wash us clean. Sexual sin is not a sin that's so much, so much worse than other kinds of sin, but it's worse in that the devil can use it to really make us feel worthless. It, it, it hits right at the heart of who we are. It says... You are no longer pure. Even God himself can't purify you. You can't get your virginity back. Sexual sin is not just a sin that affects us um, physically because there are a lot of physical effects that are devastating from, you know, illegitimate sex sometimes. But there's also the, the emotional, the devastation of giving yourself to somebody and then being ripped apart emotionally over and over. So there were all these things that were long-term losses <clears throat> Excuse me. But short term, there didn't seem to be any losses. Seemed like it would be just fine. Everything's going to go great. These women could get a huge, quick boost in their sense of feeling good about themselves. And of course, guys could get this huge, quick boost too. And of course, that produced 
Long-term insecurity in relationships. Divorce escalated because people were building their relationships on the wrong thing. Quick fix, instant gratification, wanting to find somebody who made them feel loved, made them feel worthwhile right away. Now, in, in the book Dying to be Beautiful, on um, page 15, it's by Jennifer Jill Schwartzer. It's a great book about anorexia and bulimia, eating disorders and how they destroy our lives. She has a lot of this information in her book. And she says, women began to grasp at physical perfection during this time, of, time period as a means of retaining love and standing in society. Thanks to moral freedom, the pressure for women to look sexually appealing was increasing by the day. Now that pressure has always been there. And you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pretend like all of a sudden now the pressure to look sexy is there. It's always been there. But now our culture is saying it's okay. Let the skirt hemlines come as short as you want. And we, we're building a culture that's crumbling around us. And then we wonder, wow, why do we all feel so terrible about ourselves? We just need more self-esteem, I'm sure, right? Mm -hmm. Now we have a culture that's built around having the ideal body. But it's not necessarily healthy or even something that's possible. A lot of people, they have larger bones. They're, they're not built to be what a model looks like. You know, one of my close friends, he used to be a model in New York City. And he said, you know, those beautiful women you see in the advertisements up close, wow, they were ugly. They were so skinny and sallow looking because they're, you know, so many of them have eating disorders trying to keep themselves pinched down to this thinness because, of course, you've got to look really thin for the camera. And thanks to Twiggy and all those cultural things that happened a long time ago, people think you've got to be really thin in order to be beautiful. Um, in, uh, in Jennifer Jill Schwartzer's book, Dying to be Beautiful, she told about, I think it was a, some kind of mineral water woman, I can't remember. The model girl for them back then was, uh, I think, five foot four inches and 140 pounds. Now, the model for them is five foot ten and 110 pounds. That's taller than me and skinnier than me by 20 pounds. That's really, really unhealthy. But culture demands and everybody bows. Why is that? Why do we do that to ourselves? Any ideas? Yes. It's simply self. You're right. Satan is in control of the carnal mind if we're not yielded to Christ. And he hates humanity, so he's just going to make it worse. Yeah. Worse. He wants to destroy us in every way he can. As we don't spend time with God, we correspondingly start increasing our need to magnify ourselves. And our culture just bombards us. The 36, 24, 36 look, you know, that used to be the thing. The perfect measurements for a woman, 36, 24, 36. Your Barbie doll mentality. That's not a healthy way to, to view a human body. But advertising tells us you need to eat these unhealthful foods. You've got to drink this to be beautiful, right? We just went to the World of Coca-Cola Museum with my daughter. We, we took the kids through. It was a free tour that we were doing along with a bunch of other stuff. And so it's like, do we want to bother? Okay, let's do it. My goodness, drinking from the fire hose of advertising. It was just plain straight up the whole time. They're just feeding us, you need to drink Coca-Cola. It's wonderful stuff. Everybody loves Coca-Cola. The flavor is amazing. So when we started out, when we 
first sat down to start the tour, I talked to my daughter and I said, you know, remember, she's six. I said, Anaya, this is advertising. You're going to find out about the power of advertising. Their job is to try to make you think that you have to have what they have. Are you going to believe that? And she said, no, I'm not even going to look. She covers her eyes. <laughs> so we go through the whole Coca-Cola Museum and all the, all the other exhibits and things. And these people, one after another, pumping, oh, this is such a wonderful drink. Look at this. And they drink it. And all these things happen. And wow, they're having such a wonderful time, you know. My daughter watches goggle-eyed. So we get to the end. I said, so, Anaya, what did you think of the advertising? Did it make you think that you wanted that? She said, no. Yes. Yes, Mommy, I have to try Coca-Cola. Let me taste it. Please let me taste it. She's never heard of Coca-Cola in her whole life before this, right? <laughs> but now she knows what Coca-Cola is. And oh, she wanted to taste it. We, we let her taste a couple of little Sprite and things like that. They had all these, this tasting machine place at the end of it. So she was pacified by tasting a couple of those. But you know, it worked. Advertising works. Why would people spend billions of dollars on it if it didn't? <clears throat> so advertising is creating our culture. You're bombarded by this message that you got to eat this, you got to drink this, it's wonderful, you'll love it. And at the same time, you're seeing images everywhere of these people who seem to be consuming all of these garbage foods and drinks, and yet they have these perfect bodies that are made out to be exactly what your body should look like, whether or not God made you with that same body type or not. You know, there's endomorphic, ectomorphic, and mesomorphic different body types. You know, some people are just more muscular, some are more big boned, some are naturally very thin, but it's not healthy for some people with one body type to try to squeeze themselves down to this other body type. And because people have gotten so self-centered in our culture, because we're not spending time with God, building our sense of identity and worth on Him, we, our, our need to become something and to measure up is magnified. We worry about what people think of us too much. And of course, in advertising, you have all this retouching. How many of you have seen the Dove commercial where they retouch this woman? Have you, have you seen it? It's actually really good. One good piece of advertising for a change, where they have a woman sit down in front of the camera. She's a model, but she, her hair is flat, and her face has not been made up, and she's just sitting there. And then they do this you know, quick thing as you, know, you watch as it goes. I don't remember. What do you call that time relapse? Anyway, so they, they show you as her face is made up, her hair is done, and then they blow her hair back, and she looks beautiful, and she gets all these pictures taken. And then they retouch it make her eyes bigger, make her neck longer, do all these things with the uh, computer, and then it puts it up on the billboard and says, now that's beauty. But it's not reality at all. So we are bombarded when you just walk through the grocery store. Not only are all the things that they're selling in the grocery store full of pictures on the packages that promise that you'll look like this, if only you drink this. But then you go through the magazine section, trying to just get through the checkout. <clears throat> Beautiful people everywhere. And they're unrealistic toys, Barbie dolls, movies, you know, TV, all of these things tell you, you must look like this or else. And our lazy lifestyle on top of all that, people, people end up becoming bulimic or anorexic often because they're obsessed with becoming what they are not. And we have this instant gratification culture. I can eat all of this and then throw it up and I'll feel great. It's an addiction and a deadly one. But it comes from, it's the fruit 
and not the root. It comes from not building our sense of worth on God's love for us. Therefore, I feel I need to be something that's beautiful or lovable or worthwhile. The Bible has a simple solution for this. It says, be still and know that I am God. You know, our culture is so fast-paced. Anytime we're not doing something, we've got all these other things that we could be doing. You know, I live right on the edge of this university campus. Students who are walking across campus are never just walking across campus anymore. They're texting, or they're talking to somebody, or they're on their phone, or the, you know, they just can't sit there and walk peacefully in the sunshine. They have to do, they have to do something, something all the time. We live in this culture that doesn't have time to meditate doesn't have time to spend time with God. And then when people decide they are going to meditate, they do this self-centered meditation where you empty your mind. The Bible does not say that we should empty our minds. It says we should fill it by meditating on the word, not by emptying it of anything useful. That may make you feel relaxed, but it's not changing you into the image of God, which is the purpose of our lives. When our sense of worth and lovability is not based on spending deep time with God, drinking in his love, recognizing, wow, he loves me just the way I am, with all my faults, with all my weaknesses, with all my acne, he loves me like this. When we're not drinking in his unconditional love for us, then we start feeling like we need to do something to prop up our worth, right? We have to become something. So God's solution to the dress problem and to the culture problem is us spending quality time alone with him. Then we don't have a fragile sense of worth. Then we start knowing he loves me, he wants to be with me, even if nobody else sees, thinks I'm beautiful, God does. So when you, when you feel like you need, you know, when you start getting that thirsty feeling, you know what I'm talking about if you've been there, where you start feeling, wow, I just I wish I could go cut my hair, do something, I want to look different. Recognize that for what it is. It's the call of God to your heart, saying, come away with me. Let me tell you how much I love you. Then you'll feel better about yourself, not because your empty, shallow feelings are better because you went shopping and bought some new clothes, but because you go, wow, he loves me just the way I am. Isn't that great? But no, our culture, if you won't demand that time away from God, will demand that you fall into its lie. I gotta be me, right? How many of you have heard that? You've heard, I gotta be me, I gotta be me. It's, it's so important, you know, you hear this. You gotta just be yourself, relax, follow your heart. I just was uh, on the train yesterday in Atlanta on the way to the airport, and I saw this girl and thought, man, I wish I could take a picture of that and use it for an illustration. She had on this black dress and lace leggings hot pink hair, neon pink. I was waiting for my daughter to ask for pink hair. Great, she loves pink. This girl had pink hair, and not, that's not enough. Then she had this tattoo of a bumblebee over her whole chest. I mean, you gotta be a special kind of person to have a bumblebee tattooed <laughs> across the entire front of your chest. I, I, don't know, I don't know what motivated her, but I know she's gonna regret that. <laughs> This huge tattoo covering her whole chest, and she had to be sure she had a neckline low enough to show off almost the whole bumblebee. Wow. And I thought, wow, she doesn't have to tell me a thing about herself. I know she's desperate for identity. She wants somebody to think she's special. She wants to be unique. She's got to find something to make her feel like she's different from everybody else. 
because her sense of identity is based on I'm different, I'm unique, I am me, I gotta be me. But God wants us to base our sense of worth on the fact that I'm just like everybody else. I'm of infinite worth in his eyes. And so is every other person around me. How many of you have ever heard of the Darwin Awards? You ever heard of the Darwin Awards? Yeah, the Darwin Awards are awards supposed to be given posthumously, in other words, after death, to people who killed themselves by doing really stupid things. And their idea in their, on their website, you know, they say straight up, um, basically, we want to thank these people for removing themselves from the gene pool. Well, you know, it's pretty funny. Some of their stories are kind of awful, but you know, they, it's, it's funny to hear the crazy things that people have done to themselves. But think about the mentality behind that. What does that say? Darwin Awards. Here are people who basically, these people were not very intelligent because they committed crimes or did other dumb things that brought them to their death. You know, leap on top of an electric fence kind of things. They, they did really dumb things. So we're so grateful they removed themselves from the gene pool because people who are not very intelligent, like myself, I am very intelligent, they are not very intelligent, we're glad that they're not around anymore to reproduce because we want to have intelligent people like me. Now that fits very well with an evolutionary mentality, doesn't it? Some people are worth more because they're smarter. Other people aren't worth as much because they're not as smart. But when we're all created in the image of God, and we see every single one of us as of infinite worth in the light of the cross, doesn't that change the way we look at things? We're not valued based on how we compare to other people. You know, these kinds of, I don't know, there, there are a lot of these kinds of things. People of Walmart.com, have you ever seen that? Oh, it's funny. It's terrible, but it is funny. People of Walmart.com is another one of those websites that shows pictures that people snap in Walmart of people who dress in strange things. So you got your standard people who wear tight white pants with zebra-striped underwear underneath and, you know, strange, strange, bizarre outfits. And so people go, oh, wow, and they take a picture of this person at Walmart and post it on, the, on their website. It, it's hilarious. But once again, it's showing a, a mentality that a lot of people have that these people are lower than me because they dress weird. Are people lower than me because they dress weird? When I look at somebody like that, I might think, what were you thinking when you put that on? But they're of infinite value in the light of the cross, aren't they? Jesus looks at that person and he sees them as worth just as much as me. So do I have the right to look down on them? No, you see, when we fall into the evolutionary mentality of thinking that some people are more valuable because they're unique, then we think, well, people like me are actually pretty valuable. Therefore, all the outdoorsy camping kind of people, those people are cooler because that's like me, right? Versus these city slicker people who don't know how to light a fire by themselves out in the woods, they're not worth as much. Or you get it the other way around. Those cowboys, they, they can't even dress up to save their lives versus me. I know how to look polished and beautiful. You know what I mean? We elevate ourselves as the paragon of these kinds of people, people like me are worth more versus those kinds of people, people who aren't like me aren't worth as much. This is a self-esteem generation, this is the mentality, but it comes from an evolutionary perspective, thinking some people are worth more than other people, just because. But in God's eyes, people who are mentally disabled, people who are old and incapable of taking care of themselves, everybody is of infinite worth 
in the light of the cross. And Jesus would have died for every one of us. When, when our sense of identity and worth is based on, is not based on God's love for us, it becomes very easily based on what other people think of us. And that's the problem with the self-esteem generation. We, we follow our hearts far too much. But the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? When you look at life through biblical eyes, you see what really is happening when you hear stuff like, you got to get in touch with yourself. Just express yourself. Be free. How important is that? God doesn't want us to be spending all of our time trying to express ourselves, getting in touch with ourselves. We need to be getting in touch with him. God says, before I formed thee in the, womb, in the belly or in the womb, I knew thee. Jeremiah 1.5. If you get in touch with your creator, that's the one who can tell you what you're really worth. If you base your sense of worth on how smart you are, you now need to step on other people to prove you're smarter than they are, don't you? If you base your sense of worth on how beautiful you are, you need to step on other people to prove that you're more beautiful than they are. <clears throat> God wants us to see ourselves as the same as everybody else, of infinite worth. And when we do, that will change the way that we feel about how we dress. How does this apply to dress? Our appearance should not be about expressing ourselves, but about reflecting God. It should not be based on whether I'm reflecting what's really in me. This is me, the real me. And our feelings about our own worth should not rise and fall with our appearance, should they? It shouldn't matter if I have greasy hair and a lot of acne and I just don't feel like I look beautiful today. I can still go out rejoicing and hold my head high because I'm of infinite worth in the light of the cross, right? You know, people who wrap their identity around this is who I am often have to shift those identities. I remember watching one of my friends go through a lot of phases in his life. First, he was the, the ninja type. So, you know, dress in black and keep a, a solemn face all the time. Then he, had, he got tired of that and went into the skater phase. After a while, there was the camo phase. You know, because we find I feel really good about myself for a while when this becomes my identity. I wrap myself around. This is who I am. Hey, everybody, look at me. This is the real me. But after a while, people don't pay attention and we don't feel so good about ourselves. Now we've got to latch onto something new. And this is the way it always is with the devil. He makes us feel good, gets us hooked, and then says, but it's not enough. It's never enough. If you just shop a little more, get a little more, get something a little different, then people will pay attention to you. Then you'll feel better about yourself. Our culture bombards us with this temptation to decorate ourselves to make ourselves look good, to show on the outside what we're like. Because our culture is wrapped up in what you're like inside is really important. You know, we live in the Twitter culture. I, mean, I don't know. I'm not going to even ask if anybody has a Twitter account. I don't, so don't get excited. But, you know, I saw on CNN.com a while back, Twitter crashed. And they, they had interviewed people about how they felt. You know what Twitter is, right? The people put up inane remarks about whatever they're doing at whatever moment during the day. So extremely self-centered people think that everybody they know is going to really want to know. I'm driving to work right now. I'm eating a hamburger. I'm feeling strange. You know, really. 
This is such a self-absorbed culture. And, and in the CNN, CNN.com article, they, had, they quoted this woman who said, I just didn't know what to do when I saw Twitter had crashed. I just suddenly felt like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I don't even know what, what I can think. I, 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 can't, I can't tell anybody what's going on in my head. I was like, wow, that's intense. <laughs> it's really that important to you to express yourself to everybody? Everything that's going through your head? But of course, we can do our Facebook status updates or whatever else. It's easy to get absorbed in thinking everybody else must be really interested in whatever's going on inside me. But is it really that important what's going on inside me? What's going on between Christ and Satan? The battle for every person's heart. That's what's important. That's what we need to be focused on. Not letting everybody know what's going on inside me. And often, the less beauty there is on the inside of us, the more we feel obligated to decorate up the outside, to show people what the outside must look like. Because we don't have beauty in our hearts, we become self-absorbed. And then we feel like we got to do something on the outside to make everybody admire who we think we are. I, uh, I took this picture of my son not too long ago. <laughs> we were just running around playing in the yard. And then uh, afterward, my sisters were looking at it and laughing. They said, he looks like in some Abercrombie model. <laughs> <laughs> now, haven't you seen those? You know, <laughs> here he is. I actually was thinking, you know, I, I have a personal thing about Abercrombie. I just think they're disgusting. I'm, I'm absolutely revolted by their advertising. I, I went to Google to try to find something about Abercrombie, you know, to use as an illustration here. None of it was fit to be printed. There wasn't a single thing that had Abercrombie written on it that ought to have been seen by human eyes, unless you're married to that person. It's just, that's awful. Why would you use raunchy advertising? And yet, in our culture, Abercrombie, you know, to be able to have that written across your shirt, splashed on you, it says something about who you are, right? I have money. I'm in style. I know what's cool and what's not cool. When my niece and nephew moved over from Africa to America, you know, it was, it was interesting seeing how they were different from American teenagers. They were, let's see maybe 13 and 14 at the time, something like that. And the American teenagers were so caught up in having to wear the right name brands. But for them, they didn't care. Name, what, what does it matter what's written on the front of your shirt? That changed over time. But you know, back then, they didn't care about those things because they hadn't been brought up in a culture that makes a god out of wearing the right name brand. If you wear the right name brand, you show that you have money. So. We fall into this culture of over-sexualizing and falling for the advertising that says, if you just wear Gap, if you just wear this, then you'll be cool. You know, I had some, I had some uh, overalls that I think my sister had bought and given to me that had Tommy Hilfiger written on the, uh, on the suspender straps. And I thought, you know, those are really cute. They were nice and functional, so I wore them. And then my mom told me that somebody commented to her that like, they had met me and they felt kind of intimidated because they're like, wow, you know, she's, she's wearing those overalls. Those are really expensive. And my mom said, oh, no, she got those secondhand. You don't have to, you know, she's not an uppity kind of person who spends a whole lot of money on her clothes. But they thought maybe I was because I seemed to, so I was so cool. They felt intimidated by me. And I thought, you know what? Those are going. I don't need those anymore. I don't want anybody to feel that what I wear is, is a sign of how much money I have. That's just wrong. God doesn't want us to show off what we have or don't have. 
The Bible says, women for their part should display their beauty by dressing modestly and decently in appropriate clothes, not by braiding their hair or by wearing gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but through good works. Now, I'm not saying that God wants us to start trumpeting our good works, putting those on the outside and making sure people know what we're doing. That's not his point at all, is it? Women should show their beauty. That doesn't, we're not supposed to dress in sacks. We're not supposed to wear drab colors that we make sure don't flatter us at all or drab styles or ugly things. We're not supposed to be looking ugly on purpose. But God doesn't want us to try to advertise ourselves as beautiful and make that our focus. We should display our beauty by dressing modestly and decently in appropriate clothes, not by braiding our hair. Nothing wrong with braiding our hair, but by making that the focus of our beauty or by wearing gold, pearls, or expensive clothes. You noticed how when you go to evangelistic meetings, you hear all about the gold and pearls. Don't wear gold, don't wear pearls, and costly array. It just kind of gets skipped over. Expensive clothing. That's the jewelry of nowadays. You know, living on a university campus, I hear all the arguments against, you know, why jewelry is okay now. And one of the main ones is, of course, well, back then, people wore their gold and pearls to show how much money they had. But now we don't. Well, that's a good point, isn't it? Back in the old days when the Bible was written, people might have worn jewelry in order to show how much money they had. Whereas now you can buy something that looks almost the same over at a secondhand store and spend 10 cents on it, right? So it's fine, right? Well, if that's the only thing you're considering, you may not spend a lot of money on wearing jewelry. And it probably costs more for my husband to buy a nice tie than it does for me to wear a nice pearl necklace, right? Or at least a pearl-looking necklace. So if, if finances are the absolute only thing to consider, well, you've got a point. But what about the other factors? gold, pearls, and expensive clothes. When I'm spending money on clothes, for one thing, especially if I'm wearing, if I'm spending money on clothes that are name brands, I'm not saying we shouldn't have good quality clothes. We need to have good quality clothes. That saves money. It makes sure that you don't end up with a nice tear in the side of your shirt because it was stitched together so cheaply. And we don't want to waste our money, I think, on spending it on supporting slave labor over in China. But that's you know, we can't always trace where our clothes are coming from. But what we do need to be aware of is that we're not supposed to be advertising how much money we have. That's one principle, one principle among many of how we choose what we're wearing. We don't want to try to show off, I've got a lot of clothes, therefore I'm cool. Therefore you should, you know, be privileged to hang out with someone like me. But on the other hand, if you're wearing jewelry, um, what is that going to do for you? If I put on a pearl necklace, what is that going to do for me, even if it's fake pearls? Or if I put on earrings, what is that going to do? It's going to draw attention to me. It's going to make people look at me. Now, I may feel like I'm just putting the finishing touches on my outfit, which I wouldn't because that's not the culture I've been raised in. But a lot of people who come into the church who are used to wearing jewelry, when they first go out without their jewelry on, they feel like, oh my, I feel so strange, like I, I didn't finish getting dressed this morning. But what does jewelry do? What does wearing ornaments do for us? Isn't it really just a way of expressing ourselves further, showing I'm unique, I'm special? Jewelry nowadays is usually about that. You can go out and you know find rocks or pieces of wood and whittle them into little crosses or whatever you want to do. You can make your own jewelry and it may not cost you very much money, but it's going to be an expression of yourself. 
And when you wear it, you're going to feel different about yourself, right? You're showing to everybody, this is who I am. This is what I'm like. Look at me. Now, I know some people are going to listen to this and say, no, that's not why I wear jewelry. But you've got to admit, sometimes that is a, a prominent motive for people. They wear jewelry in order to make them feel like they're expressing their uniqueness. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being unique. God loves our uniqueness. I have three children, and I love them all immensely, equally. But I love them all differently, and I love the unique things about them. God designed us unique. He's a lover of uniqueness. That's wonderful. But your uniqueness is not why you're valuable. And if you dress in something that expresses yourself, how is that going to influence other people? You know, if, if I'm wearing something that I got at a secondhand store and then I go to church that, you know, with my gold necklace on or whatever, and somebody else comes in and they've been struggling, you know, their grandmother gave them this necklace and they know it's worth a lot of money and they ought to get rid of it. They ought to sell it and give that money to the poor, but, you know, they're wrestling. They want to wear it. And I'm not saying that you have to sell something like that. That's a personal decision for somebody. But if I'm wearing something that is a stumbling block for someone else, what does that do for them? If I wear my wedding ring that costs $10, someone else will spend 100 on theirs, and someone else will spend 1000 on theirs, and someone else will spend 10000 on theirs. And they all may use me as an excuse. Now, that's a stupid reason. But they're going to use me as an excuse. Do I want to partake in that process of making somebody rationalize away the reasons why they should follow the convictions of their own conscience? I don't want to participate in that. So it's easier, especially in our culture in this day and age, to just stay away from those things. You know, the world is not getting to be less focused on self. So you can say, well, the, the arguments against jewelry from back in Bible days don't really apply anymore because we're different now. Well, we are different now, but we're not getting any less focused on ourselves. And nowadays, our culture is demanding, show your uniqueness. Show how special you are. Express yourself in the things that you wear. God wants us to do the opposite. He wants us to express himself in the things that we wear. By the way that we dress, the way that we act, all of those things, we can show other people what God is like rather than showing what we are like. I, I think, you know, in many ways, dress is almost something we shouldn't even have to talk about. What we should be talking about in our church and in our homes and our families and everything that we do in life, we should be talking about the love that Jesus has for us, this incredible value that he places on the human soul. And as we do that, as we spend time with God, we meditate on his word, we spend time in prayer, that need for expressing ourselves, making ourselves known to everyone around us is, is going to melt away. You know, in our culture of blog, where everybody's got to write out all the details of what's going on in their hearts, I used to be on MySpace and just hearing people gush about what was going on in their hearts. Oh, the anguish, and oh, the anger, and oh, the everything else. I was like, oh, my goodness. You're really wrapped up in what's going on in your heart, aren't you? Have you thought about what's going on in everybody else around you? How they're battling hand-to-hand -hand with the devil? How are you helping them? Or are you spending all your time thinking about what's going on in my heart and my life? There's a very important place for working through issues, you know, things that people have gone through in their lives. I'm not minimizing the need to work through things and process and go through what's going on in my mind. Why do I feel what I feel? But we have to remember, pain is not our enemy. Sin is our enemy. So when we're processing, we've got to realize, you know, 
what am I, what am I doing to deal with the sin issues in my life? And it's fine to say, well, I was abused as a child and I've got to process all of that. That's very important. If a person has been abused, they need to process those issues. But how do we process them? You know, your modern counselor will say, come to my office every week and for 100 bucks an hour, I will listen to you spew about how much anger you have about being abused. And that's going to help a lot, right? No. But you'll feel good. Oh, you'll feel so much better when you come out. Whoa, got all that off my chest. And next week you come back and it's all built up again and you've got to spew again. This is a culture that we've built. Our, our culture is addicted to psychotherapy, to painkillers, to antidepressants because we want to escape. We don't want to get rid of the sin in our lives. We want to blame it on somebody else. It's fine to process if you've been abused. I certainly had to process being abused myself. But what we do when we process in a healthy way, by God's grace, is we ask, Lord, how does truth meet life? I'm going to be talking about that tomorrow. But how does truth meet life? And what's going on in my heart? When I see what you say, about what I should be doing and how I should be living, then it doesn't matter what caused me to sin. Because of course, as sinners, we tend to react sinfully to someone else sinning against us. If I have injustice done against me, I want to react unjustly back to that person. I hate you. Look what you've done to me. Look how you've destroyed my life. Well, that's great, but you can let the destruction keep on going in your life forever. There was a point in my life where I realized, you know, my grandfather's been dead for 10 years, and yet his hand reaches out from the grave and grips me. And I decided enough is enough. I'm not going to let what he's done to me wreck the rest of my life. And so I chose to let go. I chose to forgive, not because he deserved it, but because I deserved it, because I needed to be free. And that meant processing, giving up those things. But the chief thing I had to give up was my sin, not his. His sin was over. He's dead and he'll face judgment and God will deal with him according to his works. But my sin was resentment. My sin was saying, your sin is so bad that you deserve to be burned. Well, but my sin is bad enough that I deserve to be burned, don't I? Every one of us has sinned. And what do I have a right to say, everybody else needs to be burned more than me? No. If I let that continue being in my life, I'm just going to keep on spewing anger. And this is what many people do. They, they become more and more self-absorbed. I've got to express what's in my heart. And they pour out their anger instead of letting God deal with it. Instead of saying, where is the sin in my heart? That's what needs to be processed. Lord, show me how I am sinning in response to the sins that have been sinned against me. Deal with those sins. Then you're free. That's how you break free from the power of the devil. That's how you get even with the one who's really behind every bad thing that happens in this world. We get even by saying, Lord, set me free from the power of sin. That's what God wants us to do as we process, as we turn that inward look. As we turn that inward look, God wants us to hand everything over to him. Instead of getting it in there and thinking and and musing and blogging and hashing through all of the stuff that's going on in my life. What matters is what's going on between God and me. And as I work through that, God will keep on saying, Nicole, see that? That way that you've been handling conflict, it needs to go. That's not like me. That's not loving. And I go, oh, no, Lord, that's the way I've always done it. He says, ah. It doesn't matter that that was, was modeled to you as a child. It doesn't matter that other people sinned against you in that way. It has to go. It doesn't matter where it came from, it's going. Let me pull it out. God pulls things out. When he weeds the garden, he pulls it out by the roots. He doesn't just leave it there. 
Now, that means we still, you know, just like any garden, there will always be weeds growing. Until Jesus comes, there will always be things coming up in our lives where the Lord is saying, you see that? You did a good thing, but your motives were not fully pure. I want to purify your motives. Let's pull those out. God wants to change us continually into his image more and more day by day. And that's, that's what's at the heart of how we dress. When, when, we, when we worry about the outward things, we forget about the inward things. When we focus on the inward things, the outward things start coming into line with God's word too. You know, my daughter had a real battle with jewelry. This is my beautiful daughter, Anaya. Um, she had a real battle at, I guess she was about three years old, maybe four, when somebody gave her some toy jewelry. She was thrilled. She had just showed us not long before that. She'd been looking through a magazine she found and brought me this picture and said, Mommy, you see that girl? This is a woman wearing some pearls. She said, when I get married, I'm going to wear some of those. I said, oh, really? Well, that's interesting. So we sat down and had a little Bible study with Daddy about what the Bible says about wearing pearls. And she listened to the whole thing politely and said, that's interesting, Mommy. But when I get married, I still want to wear some of those. And then not long after that, she had come to me and said, Mommy, I'm not going to wear those when I get married because I want Jesus to be with me. And I don't want to be dressing up on the outside. I want to have a beautiful heart. Wonderful. We prayed together. I was so happy. Then a few months later, somebody gives her jewelry. Oh. So she put it all on. Look, Mommy. The ring, the bracelets, the earrings clipped on these huge, cloddy, tinselly things. And she said, how do I look, Mommy? I said, well, those are very pretty things. But what do you think? She said, I think I shouldn't wear them. But I'm going to anyway. So she did. All right, I realized this was a battle between her and God. So I, you know, talked with her little times during the day, and I could tell she was under conviction. You know, one time she, she was, we were driving along in the car, and she said, well, Mommy, I want to be a missionary when I grow up. But I can't be because I want to wear my jewelry. You see, the battle was in the heart. The jewelry was only the fruit of the battle. And then one day she got up and she said, Mommy, I'm throwing all my jewelry in the trash today. She gathered it all up and flung it in the trash can and said, Yes, it's gone, Mommy. I'm so happy. Well, you know, that was a powerful victory for her. But there were little setbacks along the way. For a few months after that, every now and then she'd say, Mommy, I miss my jewelry. It was so pretty. We'd have to talk and pray about it. You know, not long ago I had a friend write to me and said, What should I do about my daughters who are struggling with jewelry? And she told me the, the situation that they'd been, you know, influenced. So I asked Anaya. I said, Anaya, what do you think I should tell this mommy? She says her girls want to wear jewelry. So Anaya dictated to a, a letter to me for me to send to the mother, which said, in essence, I used to have jewelry too, and I liked it, and it was very pretty. But then I realized I loved Jesus more, and I threw it all in the trash. Sometimes I still feel sad because I miss my jewelry, but I know when we get to heaven, then I can wear beautiful things because I won't have a selfish heart anymore. You know, I thought that was a pretty good sermon for a six-year-old. And I know this isn't the end of the battle because she still has that carnal nature in her. She's still going to want to decorate herself. She's still going to want attention. She's still going to focus on appearance if she isn't focused on the heart. 
but I'm so glad to see what direction she's going. I remember when my sister was wrestling with, with jewelry. When we were teenagers, I decided to give up my jewelry, but she had not. She was two years younger than I was. And, and I said one day, you remember when we were kids, and we used to, when nobody was looking, we'd take tinfoil and roll it into little rings and earrings and necklaces, and we'd look around stealthily and put it on ourselves and admire how beautiful it was. Wow. I felt so guilty, but wow, it was delicious just feeling so beautiful. And I said, you know, I think when we get to heaven, that's how we'll feel about the most beautiful jewelry we could have worn down here. We'll look back and we'll say, I was like wearing tinfoil. What was I thinking? I didn't know about beauty. Mm. And you know, about a year later, she had gotten rid of her jewelry and she said, you know, that, that illustration you gave me always stuck with me. Whenever I put on my jewelry after that, I looked at it and thought, Tinfoil. Hmm. Tinfoil. God wants to give us beauty that's so much better. The beauty of an inward spirit that's like Him. You know, God is a lover of the beautiful, and I believe when we get to heaven and we don't have sinful natures anymore, we won't be struggling with those things, we won't be bad influences on other people. He will decorate us in all kinds of beautiful things. Isn't He promised to give us crowns? God is a lover of the beautiful. But here on earth, he wants us to focus on having beauty in our spirit, beauty in our heart, because it's always about the heart with God. You know, not long ago, I talked to a girl who, she sat down with me one night and she said, what do you think about my wearing makeup? She said, you know, I have really bad acne and if I don't wear the makeup, I just feel so self-conscious about it. And I said, you know, I want to ask you your own question. Why do you wear the makeup? Because it's not the makeup that's the problem. I don't think it's a sin to put on a little makeup. But I said, it's what's going on in your heart that I'm concerned about. When you wear that makeup, what is it that you're wearing it for? Do you feel better about yourself because you can go out looking really good? Does it make you more conscious of what you look like? When you go past the mirror, are you wanting to primp, make yourself look good? Are you conscious of what other people, especially what guys, are thinking of you when you wear the makeup? That's what matters. God is concerned with the heart. What's going on in your heart when you wear the makeup? Do you feel like it's holding you back from going the direction God wants you to go? She looked really thoughtful. She said, I don't know. I'm going to have to think about that. And the next time I saw her, she ran up to me and she said, look at me, look. She didn't have any makeup on. And you could see her acne. And it wasn't beautiful. But her face was just radiant. She said, I feel so wonderful. I don't know when I've ever felt so good. I just went out this morning and said, no, I'm going to rely on God as my beauty. And she felt great. She said, this is beautiful. This is so freeing. I don't have to worry about what I look like anymore. You know, I was so proud of her. She made the right decision. The makeup was not the issue. It was what was going on in her heart that made the difference. And God is always about the heart. You know, we don't want to be grown-ups playing dress-up, thinking that if we do a quick change on the outside, we'll be more beautiful, other people will value us more, therefore we will be more valuable. What we feel about how we look, what others think about how we look, is not where our measure of worth is based. It's based on God's love for us, and God looks at our hearts. He wants beautiful hearts. 
He wants hearts that follow him, hearts that surrender to him and say, if there's anything you want to take, take it away because I want you to purge me from within. Cleanse the cup from inside and the outside stuff will take care of itself. Let's bow our heads and pray as we ask for the Lord to, to truly cleanse our hearts, make us what he wants us to be. Father in heaven, you're so good to us. You've dressed us in your robe of righteousness. And you've told us what you want us to look like in your word. Pure and spotless, just like your son was when he hung on the cross, beautiful or not. Lord, we just want to have you revealed on the outside because you are the one who's shining from the inside. Maybe some of us have been convicted about things that need to change in our own lives, Lord. And if so, I want to give a moment for each person to pray and surrender those things to God, to ask Him to take those things. Lord, we thank You that You set us free, that You make us beautiful in You. Take our hearts, Lord. Cleanse them so that anything on the outside will fall off on its own. Thank You, Lord. Amen.